I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is episode 76 of the Intercooler podcast. I'm Dan Prosser, as ever, joined by Andrew Frankel. Morning, Andrew. Morning, Dan. How are you? Good. We're recording this on Monday morning, and we've just had an extraordinary weekend of sport, haven't we? Good um, weekend. Sadly, we're not a tennis podcast because we could get stuck <laughs> into that. But I, yeah, I could do an entire I, podcast on the tennis. Well, one particular match, but no, we, we probably shouldn't do that, should we? I'm sure there'll be no shortage of other people who know far more about um, the women's game than we do. But um, yeah, quite. Uh, well okay. done, Emma. Anyway, well, well done, Emma. Yeah, well, we'll stick to four wheels. She's an F1 fan, though, so. There is a yeah. There is a I, saw, I saw a video of her um, doing uh, doing doing one of those sort of Pirelli hot lap things. Yeah. I don't know who was driving the car, but um, she seemed to be having a great time. She did, and the the guy driving does a massive skid around a corner, and she's just clinging oh, no, on. I never got didn't, didn't get that far. Yeah, and she's saying, "Wow, we're properly drifting." And I thought, really? girl, girl, yeah, we'll get her on the podcast. <laughs> Probably would have been As easy if. to get her on the podcast a couple of weeks ago than it is now. Yeah. But. We've missed our opportunity, haven't we? Anyway, four wheels. That's what we're supposed to be sticking to, isn't it? Um, yes. So, I mean, even apart from the tennis, it was a good weekend of sport. The, the Grand Prix, and actually the whole race weekend was just brilliant to watch it unfold. Um, a proper Grand can Prix, I just, 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 Can I just ask you, um, and you won't expect me to ask you this, but uh, just because it's the sprint race, would you rather have that or a proper Saturday quality session? Uh... I think I don't think it adds much. Um, I get. I don't think it does. I, I get that having qualifying on a Friday evening is quite good fun after work, have a beer. Um, I also get that a sprint race is more ex- interesting to watch than FP3. Um, but it's just the first stint of a Grand Prix, isn't it? 
Yeah, it was. It was, um, and, and there didn't seem to be, you know, any element of sprint about it. You know, we, you know, if, you know, we, we know that in sprints, you, you know, you drive rather differently that you do in, I don't know, say, long distance races. And that, you know, this was just, you know, Max cruising around, knowing that Valtteri didn't matter because he was starting at the back. Um, and I was quite disappointed by how difficult it appears to be to overtake at Monza because I always thought it was one of the places that you could get past. Um, so hopefully next year's rules will help that. I could be just watching it and just thinking, well, it's fine. Um, but also, obviously, you know, the, and the other thing is no one's going to have a proper go, are they? Because, you know, they, they, they know that the main event's the next day. Yeah, there's um, too much to lose. So there's just too much to lose. Um, yeah, anyway. So sorry, maybe, maybe, maybe there should be more points up for grabs and it doesn't affect your start position for the Grand Prix at all. Then you're going to have a sprint, aren't you? People are really going to be trying. Yeah, but then it's, but then you kind of like double the number race in the Grand Prix, which I'm not necessarily against. Um, yes, it just strikes me because when they first started, when they first proposed it, I thought that's just fantastic. Um, but so often there's a sort of you know reality gap, a sort of slip between cup and lip, isn't there? Of what you expect to happen, and then it actually happens, and it's not quite. I don't know. I'm you know I don't want to moan about Formula One because I've done so much of that over the years, and actually we're having a belting season but um yeah no sunday was definitely more interesting the sprint races we've had two so far neither one has been really spectacular however the grand prix that have followed sprint races have been yes excellent so maybe maybe there's something there i don't know perhaps it's just a coincidence um okay so we're we are going to talk about the italian grand prix a bit not all of you will have watched it but i'm sure you will have heard um the outcome you will have seen the major incident from the race so we are going to talk about it a bit um, we're also going to use this opportunity to talk about McLaren and what has been actually an astonishing turnaround in the last couple of seasons. Um, I think we can talk a little bit about George um, on his way to, to Mercedes now that we know it is confirmed. Um, and we will <clears throat> talk a little bit about the Max and Lewis incident because actually it was a very low speed one. Nobody got hurt in the end, but without without the hate it's just it doesn't bear thinking about so we will discuss it a little bit and we know we know that there's a penalty handed out as well um we can talk about that a bit too i guess um but let's start with you know the the sort of the rosier news from the weekend which is that mclaren back on the top step of the podium um and the next one but and the one after that and and the one after that yeah and it was it was daniel ricardo who won the race having had a very difficult season but, I mean, Monza was a good weekend for him because he qualified within a few, a few thousandths, didn't he, of Lando Norris, which is no mean feat. So perhaps it was a one-off. But Danny does appear to be finding some form again, and he won the race. Also, it's worth saying, it wasn't just a madcap, totally chaotic race, such as we saw at Hungary this year or Monza last year. Danny, there was some circumstance. The two championship contenders took one another out. However, Danny led from the first lap to the end. Exactly. He was already there. I think, I think that given that, you know, he'd started on the soft, hadn't he? Um, so his, his early pace wasn't um, necessarily going to reflect his, his true pace from flag to flag. Um, 
and I think he would have come under a great deal of pressure at the end. But as we've already discussed, you know, it's a difficult place to get past. I know that Valtteri came storming through the grid until he got up to wherever it was, fifth or sixth place. And then he, he just stopped too. Um, you know, when there is really very little, because the DRS has such a... And the thing is, and uh, Martin Brundle pointed this out, I was trying to work out why DRS has so little effect at Monza. And it's because they've got no bloody wing on them to begin with. It doesn't make a difference because they run everything so flat there. Um, and so, you know, the moment you come across a car which is pretty similar in performance to you, you kind of stay, you, you kind of stand still. Um, and, you know, you, all you can do is sort of, you know, duck and dive and hope someone makes a mistake. But anyway, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't want anyone saying, oh, well, you know, they lucked into it because... You know, I think he would have had a tough time, but I think there's every chance he'd have still won the race, uh, or certainly a very good chance. So, you know, absolutely a win on merit. So, yeah, played. It, it was a win on merit. Didn't put a foot wrong under plenty of pressure at times throughout the race. Um, <clears throat> Lando was there, there was that move, wasn't there, around Curva Grande against oh. Charles Leclerc on the grass wow. at one point. Wow, the, the bravery. Yeah. <laughs> I just I think some of the older guys must look at that stuff and just go, oh crikey, I'm not sure I'm prepared to do, do that anymore. Alex Albon did that at Spa uh, a couple of years ago. He was going past someone, literally came over the top, um, and was you know and, and whoever he was trying to I can't remember now, but he was literally he thought well he's in there and I need to go that way so I'll just do it on the grass. And he, I mean as you say these young lads, my goodness, they've just. <laughs> Yeah. Fair play. It's what, Fair we, play it's what, we, what we want to watch, isn't it? It's, it's so true. It really is what we want to watch. It's been cracking this season. I've loved it. It has. It has. It has. And, you know, and, you know I've been so rude about Formula 1 and the state of Formula 1 for so long. And, 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 you know, again, hands up. You know, I thought because this was the last year of the old regs and there's so little wriggle room, um, I just thought it was just going to be, you know, see you guys again from Mercedes, which have won everything literally everything there is to win for the last five seasons and it's absolutely not yeah we're relishing it aren't we <clears throat> yeah so we've got a third of the season still to go five points between the title protagonists at the front of the field oh it's just going to be great to watch it unfold but <clears throat> let's get back to mclaren because i mean they've they've won a race first win since the end of 2012 so i mean they were getting on for a decade without a race win which is really extraordinary to think about. For and that to team. give you an idea of just what a fall from grace that is, even now, even today, despite that unbelievable fallow period, um, and despite the fact that they started in Grand Prix racing, what, 15 years after Ferrari, they are still the second most successful Formula One team. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Still, well, more successful than Williams, more successful than Mercedes. Um, so, I mean, that shows you just how good they were for just how long. Um, and, I, you know, I just, I just love the idea. I love the idea of anyone being back up there, um, other than a Ferrari, a Red Bull or a, or a Mercedes-Benz. Um, but I particularly like those guys being back up there because, you know, McLaren as an entire group, as we know, has been to hell and back recently. Um and I think that those guys um, are really, really like the drivers. To me, so much of it is about the guys who are doing the, doing the pedalling. And I really like Danny. And I think that Lando is an absolute superstar. Um, and it just makes me really, really happy to see that team and those drivers, you know, get what they deserve. Um, 
and as you say, on merit. It wasn't all that long ago that things were very, very dark over at McLaren. It was in 2015 that Jensen Button and Fernando Alonso finished 16th and 17th in the standings. Ooh. Do you remember all those outbursts from Alonso GP2 engine when he had the Honda motor in the back of his car? God, they were grim days, weren't they? Um, yeah. So what have they done? I mean... Well, well, Zach Brown and Mercedes-Benz. I mean, that, I, think, I think that's probably a fairly simplistic, trite way of saying it. But, um, you know, it just feels like a completely different team, doesn't it? It's one of the most likeable teams on the grid now. And if you think yeah. back to the latter Ron Dennis years when it was all grey and corporate and, uh, and Lewis Hamilton as a young driver, I remember him saying that when he was announced as an F1 driver, rather than celebrate and be thrilled about it in Ron Dennis's presence, he just gave a professional smile. And, <laughs> and it just seemed like, where's the soul? Where's the enthusiasm yeah. and the excitement in that team? But, but I mean, now, that's the other thing is, you know, and, and another great thing about Formula 1s, we do seem to, you know, these young lads, you do seem to be getting some people with character back into them. Because I think the brands they represent are, are beginning to realise that, you know, that soulless corporate image you talk about is not actually what your customers, you know, the people who ultimately pay the salaries of these people uh, want to see. And so you've got, you know, you've got some proper dudes out there now, haven't you? Um, And it's, you know, it's great. Hmm. Yeah, so McLaren has still got a long way to go before they're actually fighting for regular wins and championships. Yeah, but, you know, just think, last season they were third in the constructors behind, um, obviously, Red Bull and Mercedes-Benz. And I think, you know, we don't... Yeah, I mean, I know that this season is a bit budget-capped, but I think next season is going to be much more so. And, okay, it's a whole new set of technical regulations, and you would have to expect the best resource teams to be able to make the most of that. But, you know, if going forward, there's just a lot less money sloshing about, you know, it will allow teams like McLaren to be able to compete in a way that they've never been able to compete before because they just got outspent. And as we all know, whether you're talking about, you know, a little club race uh, at Castle Coombe in the 750 Motor Club or a Formula One race, the bloke with the, mess, with the most money tends to win the race. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very optimistic for the future. What I find interesting is that Every team on the grid is hoping to make a step forward with the new regulations um, and be more competitive. But as we know, that, yeah. that can't, happen. can't happen. For someone to move forward, someone else has to step back. So yeah. who, who might be slipping backwards? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, interesting. I mean a team like Haas, you know, they, you know, they are on the record of saying they basically sacrificed this season. They, you know, they basically they've given up an entire season because they've piled everything into 22. Well, I mean, that's really, really interesting. What if it doesn't work? I don't know. I mean, I mean, how can we know? It's, it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, w- w- all I would say is that my sense is that in previous times when you've had really, really big regulation change, you don't tend to get an enormous upsetting of the apple cart. I mean, I don't think you're going to be seeing, you know, Haas winning races next year i just you know, I, you know maybe i'll be wrong and i'll be, be, be happy to be so but um you know usually what happens is the status quo is disturbed less than people like you and i would like it to be but we'll see yeah well it, i th- i think about the likes of alpine and aston martin midfield teams who nonetheless have an oem a big car manufacturer behind them um and they 
they, to justify their existence, they have to show progress and be competitive. Um, and so perhaps that will make life actually harder next year for McLaren. You know, if some of the, the midfield teams start to make progress. I think, I think Aston Martin is interesting only because particularly this season they have been disadvantaged, haven't they? They've had a, um, there was something to do with the floor of the car and reg change and that, um, that completely caught them out and that's why they, they, they have struggled a bit this season. Now, obviously next year that, they won't be subject to that. So, you know, I think Aston Martin is a good team um, and yeah, I wouldn't be, of them all, I would say that was one of the ones that I'd be less surprised to see move forward relative to where they are at the moment. I don't mean they're going to be winning everything, but, you know, they, they could um, go and give. But then again, you know, I think at the Ferrari there, clearly they appear to be, you know, on the right track back. You know, Red Bull and Mercedes are still obviously at the top. Um, you know, there are lots of teams out there with lots of plausible reasons for them to be able to think, yeah, well, next year is going to be the year that we really make our mark. We'll see. Mm. Yeah, Aston Martin were collateral in the regulation change designed to slow down Mercedes, weren't they? Because they were <clears throat> their car was inspired by Mercedes design, shall we say? Um, and so, yeah, they, that's why they've had a, a, a difficult first season. The pink Mercedes, yeah. Yeah, the, the tracing point it was last year, wasn't it? Um, yeah, well, that's right, yes. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I mean, we're very pleased for McLaren. Um, a, a race win, first one since the end of 2012. Uh, a one-two, no less. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all very exciting. Um, I would love to see them winning more races, um, but I think to do so this year is going to be very tough with Mercedes and, and Red Bull still going at it, you know, hammer and tongs. Um, a shout-out also to Bottas. He, what did, uh, he got ditched in the week, didn't he? Um, and over the weekend, he drove from the back of the grid to third, um, which was... A pretty mighty performance, actually. And he stuck it on pole. I think it was Brundle who said <laughs> P45 in the week, P1 at the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he would have been fifth if Max and Lewis hadn't run into each other. But even so, um, you know, back of the grid. And, and he does have the fastest car on the grid. And he did have a new engine. Um, so, and I think that's significant. I mean, he had, he had so much straight line speed. And maybe they really, really trimmed it out. Um, but I suspect that new donkey had a lot to do with that as well. So, you know, I think he had, you know, he, he, he had, other than obviously starting from the back, he had a really good, um, you know, deal of the deck. But I think he made the most of it. Okay, let's talk about Max and Lewis. First of all, oh, yes. an 11 second pit stop for Max. Um, yeah. Which, uh, it, it, I suppose it speaks to the pressure that teams are under at the moment with this, this championship fight that that can go so hideously wrong. Red Bull in particular are normally so slick with their pit stops. I think, I think they've got the record, haven't they? 1.9 seconds or something. Yeah, and he was sat there for 11. Um, and and, he, and the car, as I understand it, the car was good to go, but they just didn't release him. Yeah, yeah it was a silly human error by, human error by the sounds of it. Um, <clears throat> and then, I mean, Mercedes do seem intent in shooting themselves in the foot at times this season. They've Red Bull have made a terrible mistake with an 11-second pit stop. All Mercedes had to do was pull Lewis in, give him a fresh set of tyres, a steady but quick pit stop. You know, they could have done it in three seconds and he would have been away and out of the pit lane in front of Max. How extraordinary that they, they, they messed up their own pit stop to the very tenth of a second that allowed those two to come together 
at that first chicane. I mean, it, it is almost sort of serendipitous. It is almost as if you know someone somewhere is going, okay, we're going to make this this one an absolute cracker, and and and, and was you know. Um, but I think it, it it speaks to what you're saying about. I think I think you're just seeing the pressure on both teams. Um, and as we know, with huge pressure, people just make mistakes. Um, you know, Red Bull made a far bigger mistake than um, than Mercedes AMG made. Um, but yeah, they then you know they then came together and. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what I think about the coming together. But um, other than, you know, frankly, the only thing I really care about is, you know, that Lewis came out of it without a mark on him. Um, but God, yeah. to me, it's just another example of the FIA meddling. You know, to me, it was an absolute pure racing incident in any incident at all where two people come together you know, if you analyse it to the nth degree, you will be able to find that somebody was like 1% more to blame than somebody else. Um, I, I genuinely thought it was a 50-50. If I had to call it, I suppose... Well, I don't know, actually, because, you know, for Max to avoid this, the accident, he would have had to have driven off the track, which you're not meant to do. Um, whereas for Lewis to avoid the accident, he could have just run wide around the outside of the corner. At the same po- point, however, I don't believe that Max was alongside. Um, and I think you could argue that he should have bailed long before he did. So, I don't know, to me it's an absolute 50-50. And if it's a 50-50, you don't go start, going, Haha, I'm going to take your points away and you know give you a, give you a grid drop or, or whatever. Um, you just let them bloody race. And it, it just, you know, the only thing that I got angry about is is the penalty. Um, and I would have been exactly the same whether the penalty had been applied to Lewis because to me, it was an absolute 50-50. It was interesting that Martin and Paul DeResta um, were both, I think, pretty firmly in the it was Lewis's fault camp. But whereas Damon, I think, was very much in the, um, in the it was Max's fault camp. And when you've got guys who are as experienced, knowledgeable, you know, former world champion, somebody who's, you know, or who's still a reserve driver in Formula One and Martin Brundle, and they can't even agree. Surely, you know, that's pretty good evidence that it was just one of those things when you get two super, super competitive blokes fighting tooth and nail for, you know, the most closely fought championship in years and you stick them together in the Monza chicane. Well, what do you expect? Um, and it just, it just happened and they should have, you know, don't know, it cheeses me off. It just, you know, it's just the FIA meddling and being seen to be doing stuff when what the only thing they should be seen to be doing is letting their their racing drivers race. Sorry, rant over. <laughs> You're completely right. And when you've got two fiercely competitive drivers fighting for a championship, going wheel to wheel, sometimes they'll come together. It's, it's racing. And I, I think I think they should be allowed to get on with it. Um, I mean, yeah, and there are, t- there are times when one driver literally takes out another as Senna did to Prost in Japan um, and that was a blade you know and Toto Wolff saying that this was a tactical foul suggesting that Max what deliberately took himself and Lewis out of the race knew there was going to be I mean I don't think personally I don't think language like that helps I really don't Um, it's quite inflammatory isn't it yeah, and uh, yeah, and it, what was quite interesting is that after all the flack, he quite rightly copped at Silverstone. Christian Horner was very measured, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. He was unbelievably he was. measured. It's like he's been to PR school since uh, since then. Um, 
when he's got to say, well, I can see it from their side, you can see it from my side, of course I'm going to defend my driver, but uh, it was a racing incident. Um, and, the, and the problem with that is, obviously, is the moment that you, as a, you know, as, as a team principal, come out and say it's a racing incident, um, everybody else thinks, well, they never say what they really think, so they must think that they're, they're drivers to blame. And they're just trying to wriggle out. I, I don't know. But both The drivers were both quite calm and measured in their interviews as well. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I mean, I, I don't think Formula One needs another fiery, incendiary moment like Silverstone with all that mudslinging going back and forth. I don't no. think that's good, but no, it's, great no, racing it's, is it, good. It, it, it diminishes the sport, doesn't it? Mm, it does. Um, okay, well, let's clip along a little bit. And uh, I want to play you a few minutes of uh, an interview that you did with Richard Atwood, uh, Le Mans winner. Um, it's a TI Super podcast, which means it's exclusive to uh, Intercooler app subscribers. Um, it's on the app now if you want to go and listen to it. It's a really interesting listen um, because anyone who lived through the sort of 60s and 70s as a professional F1 and sports car driver, they just have great stories, great perspective, real. It's just, it's just fascinating to hear them talk. I think the most interesting aspect of it, I mean, Richard raced from the sort of early mid 1960s until he retired at the end of 1971 because he didn't want to die um the perspective that he because he's such an intelligent man provides on the risks that they face you know these questions that we all ask ourselves knowing what happened back then you know, why do they do it it couldn't possibly have been worth it you know when they were losing you know a couple of people every year um why these people ever got in the cars and he's He's amazing on that. He gives us clear a perspective on why they did what they did, um, as 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 I've ever heard. And um, yeah, it's just it's just great that guys like Richard are still around to be able to, you know, talk to us about it because it helps me understand the way things were. Um, because actually, we all think that hindsight's give, give hindsight gives us better knowledge about things. It doesn't. Sometimes it clouds things, and you can't think the way they think because. You know, they didn't have all we know now. They got in the cars because they were Formula One racing drivers and that's what they did. So they got in the cars and drove them. Anyway, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, well, let me play a few minutes of that to you now. This was the Porsche 917 yeah. in its earliest, oh, terrible, most difficult... Worst, worst drive I've ever had. Um, By a long way. I was, so, I was relieved when it broke. About to win them all. Couldn't give a shit about my... <laughs> True. My, I... I my life was safe again. As soon as it broke, I was worn out. After so just, just, just put us in the car. You're going down the straight. What would that do? 220 maybe down there? 235. 235. I mean, massive speed. And, and, and there's the kink coming up. Yeah, um, can't do it. And just, just talk to us about the, the aerodynamics. So what's the car doing at it's, that sort of speed? Well, um, a little story. I haven't told this to anybody else really, but... Um, Vic did the first two, two steps, Vic and, Alfred, yeah. and he, yes, and he, some years ago, he told me uh, that he chose me to drive with him at Mans. I thought it was my turn to drive it, because Mitter and Schutz had done Spa, and Mitter had it, dry, dry qualify, wet race, engine blows up mysteriously. They knew, they knew what a nightmare it was going to be, at Spa. Yeah. Oh. Oh. And then the next race, none of us would drive the 917 because the 908 
was going to win the race and they finished first, second, third, fourth. So why drive an hour on seven? We didn't want to drive it. So we, we all refused to drive it. We didn't, it wasn't a strike, but it was effectively a strike. So they got David and Frank, David Pike and Frank Arnold driving. And, and they finished, you know, they, they were... And that was they, for the Nürburgring? Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and they were trying to, they would, well, they wanted, Pierre wanted to run it because he knew it was going to be the car to have. And then, of course, Le Mans comes up, and I just think it's my turn to drive. I didn't question it. I didn't say... I could have gone to Porsche and said, well, actually, I don't think I want to drive it. And they probably would have put me in something else. But I just thought it was my turn. But if I'd known he'd nominated me, I would have said, oi, I'm not, I'm not driving that, because it's not, it's not developed yet. Because I'm not, I'm not brave. I'm not. I think you're probably quite brave, Richard. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't go headlong. Anyway, so talking about... Looking, but she started going down the Mosan Strait, yeah. and at Indianapolis, I can't remember what that was like. That must have been horrendous with this car, the yeah. 69. But as you go down the straight, you see less and less out the back, back rear view mirror, it's interior mirror, and, and the black's coming up, but the whole fucking thing's coming up. And, and you're driving it like fingertip, you know? And there's, a, there's apparently a YouTube shot of um, Stommelin, who's mad. Yeah. And he's driving down the straight, flat. I don't know how he does the kink. But he's driving down, and the car's, you know, he's, he's literally like trying to keep it on the bloody circuit. I mean, I didn't do that. I think one of the sort of most notable parts of the whole interview is when he talks about not being a brave man. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, he won Le Mans in a 917 in 1970. It was a wet Le Mans, wasn't it? So 200 and something miles an hour down the Molsan Strait in the wet at night. And yet he's not a brave man. <laughs> in a 917 made out of crisp packets. Yes. <laughs> can you make sense of that comment? I, I, I can only because I, I, you know, I've known Richard. I've been lucky enough to know Richard for many years. Um, and what I can say is that's not kind of, you know, false modesty. You know, look at me. Um, um, it's how he feels. However bizarre that is. It's like the bloke who, you know walks into the burning building and pulls all the people out comes out and goes i'm not a hero it's that kind of mentality it's you know he doesn't see it like that he just sees it as it was his job it's what he did um and you know and he would say well if, if i didn't like it i didn't have to do it so it's entirely my choice uh, i did what i did because i wanted to do it and that's not brave that's you know living the dream of course he is of course <laughs> an absolute yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's a total legend, isn't he? By any normal measure, an ex- extraordinary brave man. Um, okay, of course. so we've got a couple of other things to talk about. Um, let's, I mean, we have already spoken about George going to, George Russell going to Mercedes for next year to be Lewis Hamilton's teammate. But it has, since we last spoke about it, it has been confirmed. Um, not, not a great surprise. We, we thought it was coming. But now that we know it is happening, I mean, let's just do a couple of minutes on how it might play out. Uh, I, t- I think um, the nature of sport is that the younger guys come through and ultimately displace the older guys. And I think it's better when that does happen. Um, and I think, I think George is going to be right there, right there with Hamilton. Um, and I wouldn't actually be that surprised if he got the better of him. So I think that, I think that you know, I read about a bit, a bit about this on the app. Um, and, you know, I think it's very tempting to think back to 2007 when Lewis went to McLaren as... Uh, and did to Fernando Alonso what you know I think a lot of people expect George to do to Lewis next year. But the situations are completely different. You know, firstly, both drivers were new at McLaren in 2007, whereas this time round Lewis has absolutely built the team around him. Secondly, Lewis was a complete rookie 
whereas George has 50-something starts behind him. Um, George is a year or two older now than Lewis was then, which may not be much, but I think it's significant. Um, you know, the teams are run by very different characters now. Um, and, you know, I don't see Toto taking any truck from George at all. So I think what's going to happen, if I, okay, if it, I, no, I don't know what's going to happen, of course. I don't. I'll tell you what I'd do if I was George. If I, you know, if it turns out that I am, let us say, as quick as Lewis, I would just, I would just do the season as the number two i would do what villeneuve and Schechter did in uh when was it 79 uh, and villeneuve just sat there and everybody knew he was the quicker driver he didn't have any point to prove and he just sat there and go hello yeah it's me obviously i'm being the dutiful number two um so i'm i'm the team player but actually i'm quicker than that guy and you all know it um and if this got inside lewis's head and he thought that he was no longer not only the best in formula one but not even the best in his own team uh i if if lewis has any kind of mental vulnerability at all i'm not sure that he does but if he does that would likely flush it out um and i would just sit there um because he he'll be doing what the team want him to do while at the same time making um the point that he wants to make uh which is that he is you know the second coming that's what I would do as I, I would hit whether but the problem is of course you know they're racing drivers aren't they they're you know they're you know they're, they're, they're not well unless you know they're sort of you know George Russell turns into an Alan Prost I mean, he, they, he's not a cold calculating machine you know he is programmed you know he is an animal programmed to win races they all are um and give him the chance to do that you know he's gonna it's gonna be a you know a very very level-headed George he goes nah actually after you Lewis Mm. well uh, yeah I mean I do hope that he takes the long view because obviously George is going to be the one that Mercedes will back in the long term Um, Lewis isn't going to hang around a great deal longer is he Uh, we don't think his his contract's up in two seasons I I, I don't think anybody sees him going beyond that I mean he'll be well I'll be his 40th year then won't it he'll be I think 39 at the end of that season or 38 yeah getting close anyway Um, so yeah I mean it'll be it's just more flavor for next season's championship isn't it the the in-house battle at mercedes it's going to be great to watch it unfold um okay just to round out this episode of the podcast we should just talk about something very different um the the cover of a magazine specifically this week's auto car which is significant for one reason uh and i'm sure you'll tell us yeah the reason is um every single car on the cover of auto car this week if you're listening to this on monday evening or tuesday is electric and i don't mean you know a petrol hybrid or anything else i mean a pure battery electric vehicle um and and the other thing that's significant about it is um you know i know the editor of autocar pretty well and i happened to be chatting to him about this before it came out and he said he said to me we're putting this cover together um and it was only after they'd done it that they realised that every single car in it was electric. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I, think that they, I think it's a brave thing to do because I'm sure that, that there'll, there will be people there who go, you know, I'm not interested in electric cars, you know, um, why are you putting only electric cars on the cover of your magazine? But, you know, but Autocar's job, its role is to be, well, one of its roles is to be, you know, the, the, industry, the, 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 the industry's magazine and you have to reflect what's going on in the industry. Um, and you have to, you know, unlike us, because we can go forwards, backwards, we can do whatever we like. You know, Autocar has to reflect the absolute state of the art and the, the times as they are now. And that's where they are. 
Uh, and that's where we are. That's where the industry is. Um, and and I, made a, I made a point in the... I, po- I posted a little bit on the um, Instagram account. And I said that we are now... That would appear to suggest that we're now nearer our all-electric future um, than we are, you know, the the petrol-powered past which we're leaving behind us. I think we, you know, we have reached, you know, we're past the halfway point and we've reached the point of no return. And, you know, you may not like it. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not a big electric car fan by any stretch of the imagination, but there's no point, you know, howling at the moon about it. It's happening. Um, and you only got to look at the current issue of Autocar to know it. So, yeah, I mean, it just struck me as being a real, you know, a really significant moment. Mm. Um, particularly, you know, in the world's oldest car magazine. Yeah, point of no return. I mean, there were some circumstances. It was the the, the first magazine after the Munich Motor Show, wasn't it, where lots of ele- new electric cars were unveiled. Um, but that's the point. So, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. It is, that is the point. I mean, Autocar will clearly have plenty of combustion engine cars on the cover from now on. Of course, on. Of, course but, of course they will. But it's for, that, for it to happen, and particularly for it to happen unintended, um, just demonstrates how rapidly the industry is moving in that direction. Yeah. Um, it is it, yeah, a significant landmark, I would agree. Um, do you know what? I, I actually think that there are people out there who are becoming car enthusiasts specifically for electric cars. Um, and I know people who would describe themselves in that way. Um, would they call they, themselves electric heads? Probably. I mean, they're going to come up with something, aren't they? Volt heads or something. Or, I don't know. Someone will do better than that. Um, but they, you know, they never particularly had an interest in cars before. But because of the electric powertrains, because of new technologies, um, perhaps because it's a bit more PC to be interested in electric cars, I don't know. There are people out there who are becoming car enthusiasts specifically for EVs. So that is an emerging trend. That will, that will happen more and more. Um, but, yeah, quite what the overlap with traditional car enthusiasts is... Maybe it's almost nothing. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, the world's I mean, yeah, changing. I, mean, I, I, I find it bizarre. I mean, I can absolutely see people really liking the facility that electric cars provide in the same way that I really like the facility that my dishwasher provides. Um, <laughs> but I just, you know, um, I'm sorry. I mean, that's a slightly sort of flip comment. But I just, I, 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 I'm sure it says more about me than it does about, you know, mm electric cars but i just can't see people getting enthusiastic about them they are you know loving they're, the feeling they are. passionate about it here they are passionate about <laughs> electric cars it will happen what are they passionate about <laughs> i suppose technology 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 and i suppose the fact that you know these cars you know are providing a future for personal transport without well of course, they all have an environmental impact. Every single, you know, that you can't make anything without having an environmental Im- impact. But you know, at greatly diminished cost to the um, to the environment. And I guess that is something to celebrate and maybe something to get enthusiastic about. Um, I just struggle a bit myself. Maybe that will change. Hope so. Well, it, it maybe never will change because you, you happen to like a very different type of car, but. Yeah, I see it happening. I'm having conversations with people who are never interested. Friends, I mean, who are never interested. But now, because they've bought an electric car or they're pondering it, they're fascinated and they just want to talk to me about it. Um, and these are well, people I mean, okay, who've well, never you, had cars. You, you, you are much more interesting than me on this subject because, you know, you are of that generation. Can you get enthusiastic about electric cars? Are there electric cars out there that you think to yourself, blimey, can't wait to have a go in that? 
Well, I, I can get enthusiastic to, to a degree where I think I would love to have one of those as my daily. You know, that would be a, really, that would be a great daily. Um, but no, I mean, I, I'm not sitting here saying I'm getting in, enthusiastic about it, but I, there's definitely a movement and there are definitely yeah. people. Can, can, can you them. see yourself, and I'm not talking about, you know, Remax or Pinaferinas or Avias or something, but can you see, your, see, see a time when, you know, and to, and to me, this is the acid test, you would ever set an alarm to get up early to go and drive an electric car for no reason other than to drive the car it seems a stretch it does seem a stretch um i don't yeah. know i'm not i'm not going to say never but no no, 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 no and nor i you know everything i've said i base on what i have seen today like well yeah none of us know anything of the future and what's what, what might be coming i just haven't seen it yet and i haven't even seen a suggestion of that yet but that doesn't mean it's not coming no. The thing is, nobody's actually built an electric sports car yet. Okay, the Tesla Roadster, but that was very old technology and very, very compromised in several ways. And we've got plenty of 2,000 horsepower, 2 million quid things on the way. They're t- actually irrelevant in this discussion. Absolutely. Um, no one's built a proper electric sports car yet. So, no. And that in itself is telling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is telling. It is telling. Anyway, let's... Oh, God, we could just go bang on for hours about this, couldn't we? Let's leave it there. <laughs> Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> We're probably going to have that conversation again at some point. Uh, okay. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, go and download the Intercooler app. It's really good. There's some great writing on there. Um, you will like it. You can start your one-month free trial, um, and we're very confident you'll stay with us once, you do, once you've done that because we, well, we work hard at it, and we think it's good, don't we? Um, also do us a favor and go and rate and review the podcast that is important Um, and in return we'll do another podcast for you next week do it all over again next week i look forward to it very much bye everyone Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 